Hi, this is Paul McCusker, and I'm here on the Wits End Podcast. This is the Wits End Podcast. So awesome, it'll blow your face off. So strap your face on, and let's go. Guys, are you all situated and ready for me to start the second part of the Paul McCusker interview? Yeah, I'm ready. I got my uh, personal plate of brownies here, and Matthew's got his popcorn. Yum. I guess he didn't trust me to share the brownies this time around. Nope. Uh, okay, I'll start it. This is part two of the Paul McCusker interview. Let's see, how do I start this? Oh yeah, press the red button. side plots during that album was uh with the parker family and woody asks um it seems like the parker family's tenseness side plot wasn't really resolved can we expect more to come from that well you will i mean the parker being you know a key family to us right now um we're, we're going to be exploring their family and and one of the things again the theme being uh god's design and, and one of the questions that came up, of course, is that, well, yeah, it's God's design, but even when you have a mom and a dad and kids mm-hmm. uh, in that traditional biblical way, um, things don't always go right. Things are, you know, they have tensions, they have problems, they have falling outs, whatever the case may be. I thought I would be doing um, a disservice if I didn't acknowledge the foibles of, of a family that is following God's design. Mm-hmm. And um, and I again address uh, the fact that those families fall apart, that there is divorce, there are a lot of things going on in our culture and among people, and we touch on that as well. Um, so the Parker family for me is ongoing. The reason why they don't seem to be resolved is because they are a very real family. Now I will say though that they do resolve the fact that at least they're going to take steps. They acknowledge that there's tension. And they begin to take steps to fix that. And so if I'm trying to model anything, rather than give an easy answer about how to take care of family conflict, uh, we are exploring and will explore in the next episodes, because um, I've just written the next six. We are exploring, uh, for lack of a better phrase, conflict resolution, um, that families will always have conflicts over different things. And the question is, how do you resolve them? So if it felt unresolved, it was only because um, I wanted to touch on what we could do, but I didn't want to give any easy answer about how those those problems are fixed. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. And Tiger Shadows said she noticed some similarities between the vigilantes and the online hacktivist group Anonymous in terms of the national infamy, ruthlessness, and activism for social justice causes. Was there an inspiration there? or something similar, or was it more along the lines of the bones of wrath but social justice activists? Well, yeah, I was thinking, uh, I mean, as we, as you're going through, and again, you're exploring God's design for family, but within our culture and all of the forces that are at work to redefine that, to change that, to adjust it. Um, I didn't have a specific group in mind, but um, you don't have to look very hard to see that a big part of what's going on in our culture now is the um, social activism through online media. It's, it's the groups that are rising up that are becoming very vocal and exerting quite a bit of pressure. And, uh, and I did want to touch on 
uh, the pressure that um, traditional and Orthodox Christians are under right now to capitulate, to, to give up on some of these issues. And, uh, and it made perfect sense to me that um, there would be some representation of that, uh, whether we explore that further, if we, if we take that any further, um, remains to be seen. Uh, and it's the same thing with Ms. Adelaide. Uh, my kids are in school and teachers, uh, they are very well-intentioned teachers, but a lot of times the agenda that they're not even aware that they have will show up in the classroom. Uh, my kids will bring home stuff from class and, um, and they'll bring home materials that they're reading that are very slanted in particular directions. And um, what I wanted to do was raise awareness that this goes on and that this is happening all the time. Uh, back when we did the Truth Chronicles, uh, one of the things that we talked about was what's called assumed language and that people use assumed language to shut down any argument and discussion. Well, we all assume that certain things are true, even though they may not be true. And uh, so through Ms. Adelaide, who I thought was a, a fairly well-balanced character, and, uh, and, the actress, and the actress who played her agreed. Uh, she actually uh, was very um, complimentary about how we had handled these contentious uh, discussions. And in the big way, by the way, I wanted to show how two ideologies could clash, which, of course, is happening in our culture now. And how do we resolve that if we can? And so between Ms. Adelaide and Mr. Whitaker, you saw two opposing ideologies. And then we began to explore the question, well, can you reconcile them? And if you can't reconcile them, then what do you do? And so the, uh, the, the series was also exploring that. I mean, there's a lot going on in these episodes. And, uh, uh, and I'm sorry if it confused people, but, yeah. uh, but, but that's a big part of what we were trying to do. So even the vigilantors were representative, uh, but I was not thinking of any particular group with them. Okay. Yeah. I know that uh, with a lot of stuff going on, people were um, a little bit confused, especially with it having uh, to be drawn out f uh, for such a long storyline. Some of the subplots didn't necessarily match up time-wise necessarily, right? Uh, Time-wise in what way? Um, meaning some stories uh, would take less time to tell than other storylines. Like Mr. Witten was asking about it actually. He was wondering, is there a reason why you focus so heavily on the perilous pen and maximized comic storyline? Was it just maybe longer to take uh, take longer to tell that story or more uh, explanations necessary? Or Well, yeah, and I guess the big question is um, uh, that I'd have to put back within the question, why did I take so long? And, and I guess the answer would be, well, I don't know what so long means. I took as much time or as little time with the various ideas as I thought would be appropriate. If the suggestion is, well, it dragged out too long, um, you know, I'm sympathetic to that if that's how it felt. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the album is, time-wise, we're actually looking at, I think, a total of one week. So we got 14 episodes that are really about a roughly, I don't know, roughly five to seven day period. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's one, <laughs> you basically get all these things are unfolding in a very short amount of time. That's why Odyssey time doesn't make sense. So, so when it came to the Perilous Pen, if it felt like it was an odd choice, I was fascinated by, again, we're exploring God's design for family and the impacts in our culture on family 
from a variety of different angles. And I thought the comic Connellsville ideas and all the marketing and, and the way that entertainment impacts uh, our listeners, impacts all of us, was uh, very important. But, uh, but again, we didn't want the whole series to be really heavy-handed. Yeah. And so heavy-handed that everybody's just, you know, depressed from episode to episode. So we wanted to introduce a variety of different plot lines that would just be fun, but a fun way to gently explore the themes we were looking at. Uh, and that's why you have the uh, the TV, uh, the film set thing going on out in the woods. And you've got a, a lot of different things going on that have a, a subtle a subtle thinking behind them. But we also wanted to do them because they were fun. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. Okay. Um, had a couple questions from David Hilder. One of his questions was, Eugene's organization hand up was mentioned at Album 58. Is he still running that? Well, it still exists, but we haven't really done any um, plot lines with it. I mean, it's kind of faded into the background as Eugene and Katrina and everybody's become busy with other things. Uh, The fact that it's kind of in the background means that we could do something with it again. But we are very driven by interesting plot lines. You know, we'll take certain things as far as we can and, and then leave them alone until some new ideas come up where we can plug those in so it, it, it's still there but uh we'll see what happens with it and, and it was also mentioned that um connie was taking a couple of classes at the college and uh, david hilder also wants to know since it was mentioned that connie took a journalism class at the college um, and we know that she once spent several months writing a book about odyssey could she have a future career in writing at all or is there something else going on well i i i personally think that there's a lot that connie could do i mean we've seen some of the writing uh, in album 50, she actually did a documentary. So we see some interest in, uh, from her in, in doing other types of media. Of course, she does the candid conversations with Connie. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see more of that. Uh, so with, when it comes to Connie, I, I think she's still working out um, uh, what her gifts are and how she can use them. And as always, we'll, we'll make use of them as, as they seem interesting uh, to the plot or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good observation, and I, I think there's more to be seen from Connie in that area. And we'll have to keep listening to find out what it is. So anyway, uh, I have a question here, a couple of questions from Blessed Cheesemaker. He said, the characters in the episodes talked a lot about God's design for the family, but never spell out exactly what God's design is. Why is that? What about non-traditional families like Connie filling a mother-like role for Jules or Eugene and Katrina taking on a foster child? How do those scenarios fit into God's design? Well, it's funny. I I thought we were fairly clear on God's design being, um, you know, as Jesus indicates in, um, well, I'll say Matthew 19.4, where he says, uh, Have you not read that he... Uh, who made them from the beginning, made the male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and become joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Uh, so they are no longer two, but one. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Uh, I think Witt says that in a variety of ways, that it's a man and a woman in a lifetime relationship and having kids and all that. But we do deal with, um, in many ways, the, for lack of a better phrase, the damage control. The fact that in a fallen world, there will be um, uh, some differences. I mean, obviously, God models adoption for us by uh, the Apostle Paul saying that we are adopted by God through Jesus Christ. 
and, and taking care of widows and orphans. I mean, there are a lot of scriptures about this. But the fact that we have those in place where people are stepping up, uh, and that's why I purposely put, we brought Buck back uh, at this time because I wanted to show, uh, again, an unfortunate situation uh, where two Christians, Eugene and Katrina, step up in order to create, in essence, a, a loving and nurturing environment for him that is that one could consider family. And we do explore that. Buck is questioning it. They're wondering what it means. What are the characteristics of it? The same thing with Jules. She appeared very purposefully, and it fit the theme for me that we could explore other variations of of how that works, where Connie doesn't adopt Jules. In fact, you know, Jules um, leaves at the end. But we see the dynamic there. Connie has lost her mom and yet seems to become a mother to Jules in a way. Uh, and everything we learn about Jules's life and her family life back in California is uh, rather dysfunctional, and we know that. So again, rather than trying to teach something with each and every situation, uh, I did choose to explore it. Because on one hand, while we're saying this is God's design, we were also looking at where the lines are when God's design, or because of the fallenness of man, uh, they're not following God's design in some ways. And then we were exploring people who are purposefully not following God's design in other ways. So you see the differences there. One is kind of damage control, where because of the fallenness of man, God's design is still there, but um, people have made choices that have kind of undone it. But now you have another situation that we explored where people are purposefully denying God's design, saying we should change it or get rid of it, and now we're going to create something better. So uh, we're, we're kind of exploring three or four different scenarios there that uh, we thought would at least help people or, or touch touch them where they are. Lester mm-hmm. Tishnermaker also is asking about, um, uh, he said that he noticed that the episodes never t- talked about the most important family, the family of God. Why is that? And uh, I actually thought that it was, but... Well, and I, I would say that it was too, um, because we, we, we do. Um, but longtime listeners know that, I mean, we talk about church and the importance of church, and we do have scenes that take place in churches. But uh, in this particular case, I'm operating, on, uh, operating from the greater assumption that I'm talking to the family of God. <laughs> so yeah. I don't necessarily have to spell out or get uh, very specific about the b- bigger family of God that we have in Christ, um, as much as this was trying to deal more specifically with, with marriage and family uh, in, in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Pound Foolish is asking, um, you're quite honest about the issues and the ties that bind, uh, going so far as to to bring up the few times that boys and girls today can, if they so choose, to marry their own gender. How did you approach the issue? Um, you've sort of touched on that already, but um, maybe more, uh, how did you decide uh, what information you would give in the episodes? How did you decide what information was key to communicate to the audience? Well, the um, and, and I think we have covered it, but again, I'll just say one is, we're an audio drama, and we have to be very careful how explicit we are because we don't want to plant uh, images or ideas in our listeners' minds 
that would be either inappropriate in and of themselves or encroach upon uh, parents and how much parents want their kids to know and understand, depending on the ages that they're um, listening. And so um, that that's a big part of it. I mean, I'm picking and choosing based on what's appropriate for the audience and yeah. and uh, and without getting too specific or too graphic, uh, which would could prove to be really offensive. Was there a uh, pound foolish also wants to know? Was there an inspiration for Hadley or like where did that come from? Well, Hadley, <laughs> Hadley's funny because um, I, I was curious about a character who could out Wooten Wooten. Um, <laughs> the fact that even Wooten is kind of thrown by somebody who who operates in a, a reality just so completely uh, different from his own. And I, I wanted Hadley to also show that for as uh, as as wacko as as Wooten can be, and as as you know out of the box as Wooten can be, there is a lot of discipline within Wooten's mind and within his world. That as mm-hmm. crazy creative as he seems like he can be, there there's more to it than that. He's actually quite disciplined and very uh, thoughtful and his creativity and the way he thinks. At the same time, then you meet someone who's kind of like him in Hadley, but is completely undisciplined and actually kind of out of control. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought it was an interesting exploration of two characters in the same family, their cousins, and, and to show how that works between them. And then, of course, it comes out to a conclusion that, that looks at a family relationship that in many respects is very sad. Uh, so uh, that's where Hadley, I didn't have a particular person in mind. Uh, the idea sort of came up and I just thought it would be fun again to have, especially through Comic Connellsville, uh, mm-hmm. to meet another family member and then to see uh, how he, he compares and contrasts to Wooten. And so um, one thing that was at the very end of the album, you know, for your cliffhangers, that's one of the interesting things about your writing is you like to throw in cliffhangers. And Album 58 was no exception. You, th- you threw us a good one with uh, Wooten and Penny. And uh, Will wants to know what made you decide to have Wooten ask Penny to marry him. Although she hasn't said yes yet, of course. But were you planning this all along? Because I know you mentioned that um, a lot of times you plan stuff out like that. Did you have this plan in the back of your mind? I, I would say probably not, since originally you intended for her to be a bad guy. Well, Penny originally was going to be a villain, but we made it clear in the middle of Green Ring Conspiracy that we liked her so much and we decided that she wouldn't be. So the fact that we were thinking she might be and then she wasn't doesn't mean that there's something villainous inherent in the character. It's it's <laughs> not like we changed the character. Uh, we just actually continued her character as she started. Um, and then allowed that she was sort of duped by um, Benjamin Trask and all that. Um, but uh, it was in my mind. It's it, we, we as a team have been discussing the future of Penny and Wooten for quite a long time. It was just a question of did we want to get into uh, a whole other romantic relationship thing, having done it a few times before. And... Um, and in my mind, uh, Penny and Wooten had become such close friends. I mean, uh, they were constantly together, and we saw the affection between them that it, it seemed very appropriate to me that at the end of an album about marriage and family, 
that with everything swirling around that Wooten might uh, ask her to do that. And then, of course, the next album will explore her answer and what she does. Uh, so uh, that that was really it. It was it was a bit spontaneous. Um, I got down to the last scene and thought it might be the place to put that, and then that led to some you know very uh, rigorous and and helpful conversations with the team because we all have to own that. We can't just throw things at each other and expect the whole team to follow along. So we we discussed these things at length, but. Uh, and it seemed like the most appropriate way to end the album as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I thought so too, actually. Um, is there anything that you can tell us about the um, upcoming album 59? Tiger in the Shadow wants to know, will it be a, another theme album or will it be more slice of life? Well, the it's funny. The um, um, As far as I'm, fr- from where I am, because I've just I've finished writing the next six episodes, and for me, it is a continuation of um, of the previous album. Uh, it's a continuation of things we set up in Ties That Bind. Uh, I suppose one day if if Nathan Hubler were to, you know, do a definitive collection like we've done with Novacom and Blackard, that these would all be put together because uh, we do pick up with um, Wooten's question to Penny. Uh, and we know that fans want to know what becomes of Buck. What are the what's the future with Buck? Uh, so there were several uh, secondary things that were unresolved in 58 that uh, uh, will play out into 59. So um, is Buck going to become a regular character on the show now, or is he going to just be sort of a more occasional character? David Hilder wants to know. Well, Buck is around. I mean, Buck Buck is part of the show, and like any of the characters, it's a question of um, you know how often he we use him. In the next six episodes... Uh, he will play a prominent place as a character. And I do have um, very specific ideas for him moving into the future. I mean, I've kind of planned some things out, but I'm hesitant to mention any of it because, uh, uh, again, the team has to agree. I, I, I don't just throw these things at everybody and expect them to um, go along. We, we discuss everything at length. Okay. And uh- Along the lines of Buck, I don't. I know you don't want to get into it too much, but would you say he has become a Christian at this point, or is he on his way there? No, I think Buck is still on a spiritual journey. We've got to take things one thing at a time, and 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 long-term fans know that when it comes to character spirituality, um, we we take that very seriously and very carefully. We don't usually rush in. Um, uh, to character spiritual lives or get them. Um, or, from from let's say being a non-Christian to a Christian, or if we're going to do that, uh, we tend not to rush it. Uh, we, we 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 like to explore the journey with our characters. Michael Bachman asks, um, one thing that I enjoyed in the past was Wit having friends of his own age uh, he could uh, go to for support and advice, like in the Mortal Coil and the We. Um, with Tom Bernard and Jack no longer around. Are there any plans to introduce a new friend for Wit? Uh, we are exploring some ideas on that. Um, so, uh, without giving much away, uh, we're we're aware of it too. Um, we we want Wit to have a, an equal uh, that he can turn to as he did these other characters. Uh, so that's that's in the works. We we haven't pursued it yet, but we've planted some seeds for the idea. Yeah, I kind of think I know where you're going to go with this, but we'll wait and see how it pans out. 
here lately we have noticed there's been a lot of returns. Uh, will there be any other faces popping up soon? Well, we're we're introducing new characters as we go along. In fact, the next album will introduce uh, one or two characters that I hope will become part of the fabric of of Odyssey. And and people need to realize that when people like um, oh, when we introduce say a Jacques Henri, he's always part of the background. Um, he comes to the forefront as we have need, and it's the same thing with with oh, Harlow Doyle and Jeff and uh, Mrs. Kramer. I mean, it's kind of funny that people are thinking about them, Detective Polehouse. I mean, all, all of these guys are around, but um, they're just not in every episode because we don't need them in every episode. So we have sort of our core group of characters that we uh, go back to repeatedly and then bring the others, uh, others in as needed. Moving on to um, some other things that you've been doing, um, instead of just Odyssey, can you? Uh, Austin Peachy is asking, can you tell us more about your new father Gilbert novels? Well, yeah, I'm I'm actually um, scheduled to do three with a publisher. I am almost done with the first. I can say that uh, the the plan is that the novels will uh, pick up where the audio mysteries left off. Uh, so we're picking up right after those uh, time period after that. Um, because I didn't want to duplicate the nine mysteries we did for radio theater, um, and then we'll carry on from there, um, which has been an interesting process because it's been a few years since I've written for Father Gilbert, so reengaging with him ha- has been a lot of fun for me. So given the fact that you mentioned that you're kind of shifting to the novels, is it safe to say that the uh, mysteries are done on radio theater for now, or will there be more of those coming up? Well, we con- we're constantly talking about doing more uh, uh, Father Gilbert's, but in the scheme of things and the priority of what we're working on, I mean, there's there are, we only have so many things we can do at one time. I, I, right now, uh, Odyssey is all-consuming because the OAC and and the regular episodes um, are taking up a lot of our time and energy. Uh, radio theater is still alive and well in our minds. Um, uh, Father Gilbert could be part of the future, though I, I'm not working on any scripts right now for that. Uh, and of course, we have other uh, projects that we would love to do with radio theater that are kind of in the wish list. But uh, again, it's a matter of time and budget and everything else uh, determining when we can get to them. Um, so you've also written some other books uh, like TSI, the Time Scene Investigators. Do you have any plans for more of them? Uh, uh, we don't have any plans for the TSI books in particular, um, though I think Walt Larimore and I would, would love to uh, continue that series if, if the publisher wanted us to. Uh, but as of right now, we don't have any plans to do more. Okay. Okay. Um, is there any word on the next radio theater drama that you could tell us about, or is that still trying to be decided, or what's going on with that? Yeah, we're still working through it. But we, we have two or three things that we're looking at. But again, as I said, it's a matter of time and budget getting to them. Uh, but uh, we've got a, we've got things we'd love to do if we can get to them. And um, Austin Peachy actually mentioned something that I've never heard of. Um, he's mentioning um, the radio theater drama Family Outings. He's asking, how did the uh, radio theater Family Outings come about and why has it never been marketed or released like the other productions? Well, the the Family Outings program was based on a play that I had written. In fact, the play is still available out there. 
And um, when we were doing uh, radio theater as a regular weekly um, program, we, we obviously were producing stories at a, a faster rate than we, we have over the last few years. And uh, it came up. We thought it would be fun. It could be a good thing to do. Uh, I'll be brutally honest, though, and say that I was, I was not as, as pleased with the outcome as I would have liked to be. Uh, I, I just think there were some things that I did with it and that happened with the production. And I think Dave Arnold would agree that um, uh, kind of kept us back from wanting to release it the way we've released the others. Uh, I, I suppose we could go back and look at them and maybe listen listen to the recordings again and see what we think. But uh, right now we're releasing them to a great degree based on, on uh, I want to say, audience demand. And obviously things like Chronicles of Narnia, Screw Tape, a lot of the classic stories, all of those things uh, are of higher demand than some of the original stuff, like Family Outings and uh, even Luke Reports and some of these others. So um, we, we release them as, as it makes sense to do it. But with Family Outings in particular, I, I personally would want to go back and uh, listen, listen to it again before uh, releasing them. Okay. I've, I've never heard of them before. Austin mentioned them, so it was just interesting that that was even mentioned at all. Yeah, people haven't asked about family outings in a long time, so I'm, I'm, uh, that's that's going deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess that pretty much does it for all the questions that we had uh, sent in. Yeah, thank you so much for answering them. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope uh, I hope it was helpful and at least answers some of the questions that people have had about the album. Yeah, I know it answers a few of my questions. Yeah, we do We do appreciate you doing this with us. It's been a lot of fun to talk again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for all you're doing. Just glad to be able to contribute to the fan community. All right, well, thank you, guys. Uh, anyway, guys, I'm getting a tummy ache from eating all these brownies. It's a good thing that episode's over. Yes, it was amazing, as always. Thank you, Palma Cusker. Yeah, we really appreciate you doing that. And Sorry you couldn't join us, Ryan. I mean, it would have been a lot of fun with you. Of course, I wouldn't have got to talk, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us for this episode where we interviewed Paul McCusker. We're, we're really glad that it's finally out. Our email address is info at thewepodcast.com. Our website is thewepodcast.com, and both of those are T-H-E-W-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And you can also find us on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, the tweeters. Um, and I think that's about it. If you can subscribe on our website or search us up in the iTunes catalog, that's about it. But you're probably already listening there, so... Anyway, thank you for listening uh, to this thing that was edited by the guy in the booth, Ryan Matlock. Who needs to learn to be quiet? With vocal talent from Ryan Matlock and Brendan McFarland and Matthew Bird. And Paul McCusker. Anyway, the best is yet to come, everybody, so bye.